All right, we are back for another edition of the Bibliotheques podcast. For those of you who are joining your hosts, Cody and myself today, we are continuing on with reading The Great Gatsby by the great F. Scott Fitzgerald. Today, we are finishing the book, so doing chapters 7, 8, and 9. And Cody, I'm just bummed. <laughs> oh yeah i hear you buddy <laughs> like I, we obviously knew what this story was about so it's not like it's a surprise but i don't remember reading it and feeling this blue about it we have for our bibliotheques audience the first true bummer ending right of a book that we've read exactly like i was just thinking about that the other day you know we've had bittersweet endings we've had really happy endings and finally we've had an had an ending that's just like huh (laughs) this sucks (laughs) (laughs) yeah really thinking deep about life thinking deep about what the hell america is right now thinking about what does it even mean to give a shit about anything? Really tough stuff Absolutely. at the end of this book. But despite all of that, the ride to get there is fantastic. So mm-hmm. the third act of this book is crazy. Absolutely bonkers. Goes a million miles an hour. So let's get right into it because we've got a lot to talk about today. So we're starting at the beginning of chapter seven. And in chapter six, we left off with Gatsby still trying to convince himself that Daisy and him could work out eventually. Yep. So he is in pre-meltdown stage right now where he's really not only lying to Nick about everything about his life, but also lying to himself about this pursuit of Daisy. It's not great. He's pretty delusional. And that starts, that's even more evident when uh, chapter seven starts and Gatsby's not throwing parties anymore. No, now that Daisy is, is in his life, he has no more need for them. And people roll up to the house and the lights are off and no one greets them. And then they drive away all confused and sad. And he's also dismissed all his servants and hired new ones. This is apparently that Nick finds out he's having Daisy over pretty regularly to do affair stuff, <laughs> and he doesn't want people to gossip, which, you know, super fair. Oh, I get everyone it. gossips about this dude already. The last thing that he needs is some real accurate gossip. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So Nick one day is invited to lunch at the Buchanan residence, and he's pretty suspicious of it. Because not only is he going, but Gatsby's also going, and he knows Tom hates Gatsby. So the fact that they're both going to just stroll over to the Buchanan's for lunch just doesn't seem right. Can we stop right here for just a second and just Mm -hmm. note for everybody listening that this, just keep in mind as we make our way through the rest of this chapter, the entire thing is described as being like the hottest day you have ever ever experienced yes so surface I'm, of the sun devil's butt crack like this is so so sweltering hot 
that it just adds this level of pressure and intensity to everything that we're going to talk about in chapter seven. Yeah, I'm sure everyone's experienced something where it's like the one day where you were like supposed to do something. You have to go somewhere, you have to run an errand, maybe you even have to go to a party. And it, it is the hottest day of the year sometime in the late summer, maybe midsummer. And you can't move. There's like like you, you might not even have drank anything, but you have a weird head buzz because you're just sweating so much and the heat is so intense. You walk outside and the air is like shimmering almost you know what i mean yes oh yeah 100 percent. so well, like, awful it's like you walk outside and it's like when you open the oven <laughs> yes. like, like you feel the heat just escape out of the like outdoors into the house as you open the door it's so bad and so he really does a good job describing that and when he gets over to the buchanan place you can already tell that everyone is just feeling it like, you know, Jordan Baker's there and her and Daisy are on the couches and they're just totally sprawled out and they're like, we can't move. It's like, yeah, that he is paralyzing. <laughs> yes. And at that moment when they're there and everybody's kind of chilling in the lounge room doing nothing as our characters in many of our books want to do. <laughs> They can hear Tom out on the telephone again, and he's yelling at, as we the reader know, Mr. Wilson about a car that he doesn't want to sell him. And so there's this little discussion inside the room where Jordan and Daisy are both kind of like, oh, yeah, it's probably his mistress on the phone again. And Tom just has his finger on the receiver and is yelling about a car that he doesn't want to sell to, like, cover his tracks. But Nick is Nick is obviously aware of this deal that Mr. Wilson wants to do. And so he's like, no, 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 no. Your husband is a scumbag. But this deal happens to be legit. <laughs> yeah, a really, really good instincts. Keep on that. But yeah. in this particular case, he is trying to trying to fend off this dude trying to buy his car. So <laughs> tiny point that's kind of important going forward. But that gets us into kind of the the heat of this encounter as Tom comes into this lounge room. So. Tom comes in and it's very clear right off the bat that he is not a fan of Gatsby. Like, no, no, they've met a couple times before. Tom has dedicated himself to finding out what Gatsby actually does and where he came from. But he comes over and says a very begrudging hello to him and to Nick. Anyway, Daisy tells Tom, he's like, "Okay, Tom, great. Thanks for making your introduction. Go make us some drinks. So he leaves. Daisy gets up and just kisses Gatsby in front of everybody, which is obviously a big deal because we haven't seen that before. Tom's out of the room, so obviously he doesn't see it. But Jordan kind of freaks out and is like, okay, can you guys save that for when you're sneaking around at Gatsby's house? At that point, the nurse comes in with Daisy's kid, Pammy. And Gatsby, this is one of the first times, and I totally... I was totally struck by this because Gatsby looks at this kid and I think for the first time realizes just the weight of the decision that he's trying to make right now. Mm -hmm. He's like, mm -hmm. holy fuck, this lady that I'm in love with, she's got a kid. Like she does have an actual life in reality. So it's kind of a weird moment where he's just trying to reckon with that. This whole party sits down for lunch and the entire time, Daisby and Gatsby are just eye-fucking the shit out of each other. And Tom notices this eventually. 
And there's this quote where his mouth opened a little and he looked at Gatsby and then back at Daisy as if he had just recognized her as someone he knew from a long time ago, end quote. So Tom is just jealous as shit at this point. Like he realizes now that Daisy was something that he took for granted as like a possession of his. And now that somebody is threatening that possession, however fucked up that may be, he's like pissed about it. Yeah. And he's also, this is kind of where he puts together like, so he doesn't like Gatsby, but he doesn't like Gatsby on his face, not because of anything that he assumes he's doing with his wife. Right. He just doesn't like him for, you know, all the reasons we've explained in the previous episode. We're like, he's new money. He's fake. He's boisterous. His parties are tacky. His parties suck. He spent an entire night calling him the polo guy, which he hated. <laughs> so he just doesn't like Gatsby. But for like a ton of normal reasons. Now he's like, oh, my God, this dude is fucking my wife. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah. He's just he's just fully aware of it. he goes, that's not happening. I can't lose her. And so, yeah, it's this funny thing where like we talked about last episode where it's so clear that Gadsby loves the idea of Daisy and to like perform that type of want. You kind of got to think of her as an object. And now Tom is like, I'm losing my object. So it's two guys who have pretty fucked up ways of recognizing their love for Daisy kind of thinking the same thing right now. Right. The whole idea of Gatsby versus Tom just kind of falls out the window here for the reader because you want to kind of root for Gatsby because of how terrible Tom is. But you kind of start realizing, you know, at least I did after Gatsby looks at this kid and the way he talks to Nick about Daisy and everything that he looks at Daisy in a lot of the same ways that Tom does, which is just, you know, possessional. So. Yeah. And, you know, you'd really be rooting for Gatsby more if he had an actual plan other than leave your husband. We'll figure it out. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And the biggest hole blown in this up till now is that kid where he's like, oh, is that something that you're taking into consideration? It's not just me. (laughs) Right. Yeah, man, it is. We're in phase like five or six of bad plan at this point. And oh, yeah, uh, it's just been doomed from the beginning. Understand that the phases of the plan only materialize when the current phase is complete. So there's no like strategy going on here. There's no next moves. It's just step one, get rich. Steps two, three, four, five, six. Eh. Step X, I'm going to marry Daisy. (laughs) Right. The the beginning and the end are very well uh, established. It's the middle part that uh, needs some cleaning up. Anyway, at this point... (laughs) We're sitting at lunch. Tom realizes that Daisy and Gatsby have something going on. So Tom gets really pissed. He takes Daisy up on her suggestion that the entire party should go into town for the day. And so he's like, no, let's go. That's a great idea. Come on. He's like, do we want anything to drink? So Tom is getting some roadies. Daisy and Jordan go upstairs to change. While they're outside, Gatsby says something really interesting about Daisy's voice, this melodic, very enchanting voice. He says it's full of money. So this really just like infectious, addicting voice that Daisy has, it isn't lost on Gatsby that what's going on there is it's this confidence behind like 
growing up with money and having this social status as a result of it. So they plan to drive to town in kind of a weird configuration. Gatsby and Daisy decide that they're going to go in Tom's coupe while Tom, Nick, and Jordan go in Gatsby's car. Gatsby's car is low on gas, though. So on their way there, they have to stop at Wilson's garage, which is fucking hilarious. So they so they stop there, and you know the cuck man Wilson is looking bad. He is sick as a dog, and he's trying to deal with Tom. And you know, imagine like Tom, just like the worst hang on earth, and also you're just ravaged with the flu. Can't imagine a worse thing. <laughs> and as they're just kind of like awkwardly talking, uh, Nick sees Myrtle staring at them from the second floor window and she's just staring daggers at nick and he's like i don't know why this lady's staring at me so bad like she knows me but then he realizes that she that she's staring at jordan baker and obviously she's never met daisy and she assumes that jordan baker is tom's wife so she just hates her on sight dude it's real real bad but at the same time Fitzgerald kind of notes that this moment that Tom's going through where he realizes he's being cucked by Gatsby, this is kind of the same thing that Mr. Wilson is going through where he comes outside and he starts putting together some pieces of like, holy shit, my wife is cheating on me. And at this point, I think it's pretty certain that like he suspects Tom, but he isn't entirely sure his he's too sick to do anything he if yeah. all he knows this is a fever dream right now he's just extremely fucked up about it and you know when they leave tom is like frantically or was one thing important to know before they leave wilson mentions that he really wants to like buy the car from tom so he can flip it to get more money because he's taking his wife west he's like i'm getting out of new york we're leaving and tom's like like, no, you can't do that. And he's like, why? And Tom's like, I'm leaving now. <laughs> and then like, they leave. He obviously can't be like, because then I can't fuck Myrtle. <laughs> right. Yeah. The whole, so the, his whole life, his, his mistress and his wife are all slipping away from him. Yep. So a very possessive person realizing that his things that he controls, he's losing control of them. And while they're driving you know, he's out here dropping big hints about how he's going to blow up Gads because he knows about it. He's hired people to look into him. He knows what he really is. And so when they get into town, they rent a hotel room to just, you know, hang out in. And it's above this ballroom where there's a wedding going on right now. So just layers and layers of irony and uncomfortable situations going on right now. And eventually the tensions just completely break. And Tom snaps at Gadsby about his academic past and shit just goes down from there. So Tom loves to be racist again here. And he kind of is like bringing up this whole idea of Gadsby being from Oxford an Oxford man Gatsby ends up telling the truth about that, how he was at Oxford for a few months during the war. He didn't actually really attend for very long or graduate from there, but that explains the picture at least that we saw earlier in the book. Tom accuses Gatsby of sleeping with Daisy and suggests that basically it's the same as interracial, like an interracial relationship, which is just again, like Tom, dude, you are 
just the absolute worst human ever. But yeah, he's the worst. And kind of like that where um like where, you know, Gatsby kind of doesn't really come clean because he never said that he like graduated from there. He just said, I just went to Oxford like my family did, which is, you know, that's also false, but it's not a complete lie. Mm-hmm. And in this time, Tom's like, you're sleeping with my wife. And he's like, you're goddamn right. I am. <laughs> like He just comes out and said, it. and Nick was like, Oh wow. Look at Gatsby telling the truth. He's like, Oh fuck. Gatsby's telling the truth. <laughs> but <laughs> like this right is, away. Just a big flip in the tone. And, and this is where we get to the more manipulative side of the argument, because if, if Tom and Gatsby were going to go into a separate room and duke this out themselves, then I think it would be would be okay or or better. But what happens is they get Daisy involved. So Gatsby proclaims that Daisy loves him and not Tom. And not only that, but that she's always loved him and never loved Tom. Jordan and Nick, by the way, they're still there. They're both like. Can we leave? <laughs> oh, yeah. They want to leave. And Gatsby and Tom are both like, no, you both stay and you watch us. Like, conclude. We need witnesses to see how this concludes. And they both just want to get the fuck out of there. So as any sane person would in this scenario. Yes. So Gatsby and Tom are speaking for Daisy. Finally, they implore Daisy to tell the truth, tell, like basically say who she loves. And she says that she never loved Tom, but then Tom reminds her of some tender moments from their marriage. And so she kind of backtracks on that eventually. And is like, well, you know, we did have some good times. And then Tom, like you said, Cody, he gets into attacking Gatsby's reputation and reveals to everybody that he's a bootlegger with Wolf Sheen and that he's just all over the country been selling you know, booze or chemicals or whatever it is over like drugstore counters through all of this. It it's just made really, really clear to the reader that Daisy is getting incredibly overwhelmed and she's becoming less and less certain that joining Gatsby in this nostalgic fantasy is a possibility. Yep. She's kind of doing the kind of like bargain in her head where it's like, you know, dance with the devil that you know and that's tom and she's like tom obviously sucks from all the reasons we've said he's a terrible person but she already has everything established with him and the opportunity cost of swapping out that entire life that they have for gatsby and his really uncertain future is just not worth it at this point but she's kind of moving towards that decision. It's not that she's like decided that right now, because at this point she's like you said, extremely distraught. This is obviously a pretty traumatic experience right now to have to go through this. So she's not thinking clearly at all. Right. So at that point, Daisy is just really worked up as one would be with two people fighting over ownership of you, basically. I mean, it's awful. And Gatsby and Daisy end up, leaving together and they do a little car switcheroonie. So now Gatsby and Daisy are back in Gatsby's car driving out of the city. Nick, Tom and Jordan leave together in Tom's car. And there's this weird uh, moment where Nick's like worrying about turning 30. Like he realizes it's his birthday that day, which is 
so fucked up. Like <laughs> I can just imagine having to experience that whole thing and being like, oh yeah, it's my birthday today. <laughs> that's a tough one, my guy. That's yeah, that's that just rough. sucks. That no no if ands or buts about it. So as they're driving back, we're in the coop with Nick, and we get to this big ash heap right outside of Wilson's garage, and we notice that there's all of this commotion and we kind of cut back at this point to an explanation about what had happened there just moments before. So Myrtle and Mr. Wilson had been fighting, obviously about the fact that Myrtle does not want to go west. <laughs> like she wants to stay and keep doing whatever she's doing with Tom. She sees this car outside and she escapes her house runs out and tr- tries waving down this car and is struck and killed by it instantly. And the car does not stop. It keeps going, doesn't turn around to check on her or anything. So mm-hmm. when Tom, Nick and Jordan arrive to this scene, Tom runs in, sees that Myrtle's dead. He's like, not happy about that. <laughs> I mean, I don't like know if you could say Tom loved Myrtle or what it was, but there was something there. And so Tom feels, I, I mean, you have to think that he felt bad in some way. So he does. Yeah. He tries to comfort Mr. Wilson a little bit, but he hears from a witness that what hit Myrtle and killed her was this creamy yellow car. Yeah. Who, who do we know that drives one of those bad boys? And Tom is immediately like, okay, so I was driving that today and in an attempt to, and he really forms this kind of like plan in his head. It don't say what the plan is, but they describe the kind of look of him, like his like big dumb jock brain gears mesh and they start turning (laughs) and he immediately like pushes everyone who's kind of like surrounding and like, like, like trying to uh, comfort Mr. Wilson, he like pushes them out and goes into the room with him and like closes the door. And it's just those two. And then like Nick's kind of like, yeah, this is extremely fucked. I want to go home so fucking bad. Um, Jordan Baker's obviously distraught too. Cause she's like, Oh man, fucking dead body. That's weird. Tom comes back out and he's like, we're leaving. They get into the coop and drive off back to um, East egg Tom's place. And Tom, as they like kind of park, he's like, and or as he's driving away too, he just starts sobbing in the car silently. So not only did Nick and Jordan have the most uncomfortable time of their life, they just had to see someone they know, or at least uh, Nick knows, die. And now their big, scary friend, Tom, is just openly sobbing in the car. Just what a wild way to end the night. So yeah, we get I mean, back to the Buchanan house. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, when you consider the fact that, as we've said, these people don't do anything, like imagine having this type of day in a life where most of your days are just sitting on couches. Yes. And like eating finger sandwiches and getting drunk. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah. So we get back to the Buchanan house and, you know, Tom's like, hey, I totally forgot that you don't live here. My B, I'll call you a cab. Uh, do you want to come inside for some dinner? We haven't eaten all day. It was supposed to be a lunch. We just never ate. It's like like 10 p.m. right now. And uh, he's like, no. And then Jordan's like, do you want to come in and hang out with me? And he's just like, no. And he's like, talks about how like, like it's clear that Jordan was like a little insulted by that. But at the same time, he's just like, I, I don't want to do anything else tonight. 
And as he's like waiting on the counter and or the, not the counter, he's waiting like outside and he's just like, oh, fuck, what a day. And he hears like a pss, <laughs> pss, <laughs> from the bushes. And he's like, oh, fuck. And just <laughs> here comes out Gatsby. <laughs> Gatsby's like, hey, man, uh, what's up? And he's like, dude, what's up? And Gatsby's like, yeah, so I assume you saw that. <laughs> so that was 100 percent us. I want you to know I wasn't driving. He's like, you mean Daisy was driving? He's like, I don't know why, but I thought driving would calm her down. She agreed. And then this lady runs out and I tried to swerve, but she swerved too. And uh, we fucking hit her, man. And I tried to convince her that we should stop and do something. And she said, no. And I was like, you're driving. But then I drove home Mm -hmm. and Nick's like, dude, her body is a mess. You like really killed her. And he's like, hey, man, don't say that. He's like, but what's important right now is that Tom doesn't abuse Daisy. Let's let's bring everything in perspective back to my tunnel vision pea brain. Yeah. Yes, I may have just been a part of a murder drive-by, but what's really important is the subject of my wildest dreams. Like, yeah. dude, you are insane. And he's like, and he's like, what do you think you're going to do? Like, are you going to physically prevent Tom from abusing? He's like, no, no, no. What I'm going to do is I'm going to wait outside. And if anything goes wrong, Daisy will flick the lights in her bedroom, in which case I will triumphantly enter. And he's like, I can't even believe you, man. And he like, Nick goes back into the house to like grab some water. And like, he's like, and he's like, well, maybe he does have a point. Tom's pretty fucked up right now. He might, like something bad might happen. And he comes in and Daisy and Tom are like kind of chilling together. Yeah, you just eating like some cold his, food. Like he pokes his head by like so he could just get a view of the kitchen. And Tom and Daisy are just chilling in there eating cold fried chicken together. And they're described as not looking happy, but not unhappy, as if they had come to some kind of like practical agreement together and are just coexisting. And so Nick at this point is just like, all right, dude, I'm going to go back. He goes back out to Gatsby. He's like, Daisy's fine. Go home. Gatsby's like, nah, I'm going to stay here. Nick's like, fuck you. I'm going home. (laughs) Goes, gets in his cab, takes it back to West Egg. And that gets us into chapter eight. Yeah. So let's take a quick pause because enormous chapter. It's so much shit packed on every page. Yeah. Longest one in the book. Tons of tons going on and like the rest of the book there's obviously a lot of really really great descriptions and thoughts going on in nick's head the entire time that we get to see but this chapter is just a huge plot mover like Mm -hmm. it is just the climax of the story very clearly the intensity picks up everything's out in the open now there aren't any more secrets and it's just like let's get this up to the fucking top so we can have a nice and easy descent down in the last two chapters yep that's exactly what it is f scott's a great writer he managed to introduce like the the confusion over myrtle's death is perfect the idea that tom is a huge dick and wants to drive Gatsby's car to clearly make him be uncomfortable, mm-hmm. like wondering what he's going to do with his car. 
Myrtle seeing him in that car. And then when Daisy is driving like pretty upsetly, she assumes that's Tom and rushes out in front of the car and dies. That's all because Tom wanted to be a dick, like in the first couple pages of the chapter. Like that's really, really good writing. It's like it's a Greek tragedy level irony. Like if only she knew what we knew that they swapped cars. Absolutely. That's exactly what it I mean, even the little details like Myrtle looking down and thinking Jordan's Daisy, like it's all just so perfect. Mm -hmm. And I'm with you. Like, I just love the the moment from Gatsby (laughs) in the the bushes. It's so great. Yeah. It's like, dude, you you just killed someone in a hit and run, my guy. Yeah. What are you doing staking out another dude's house right now? He's like, it's all good. I just got to be here for the love of my life. Who's definitely still into me. (laughs) Oh, yeah. After just what happened, like she definitely killed someone in my car. It's all coming according to plan. (laughs) It's all going to be fine. We're going to move into together. She's still going to tell Tom that she doesn't love him. It's all going to be good. Like, dude, if she really really loved you, wouldn't she ask to go back to your house? Like, what the fuck what the fuck are we doing here anyway yeah. i think that can get us into chapter eight yeah chapter eight so nick understandably cannot sleep because of what happened it's been a pretty bad day the next day he goes over to gadsby's gadsby came home around 4 a.m when he finally saw the lights turn off in the buchanan house and he's like hey i guess that part of the plan didn't work time to go back to scheme and they have like the most hungover dude morning of all time where like they're in Gatsby's house and it's like empty. Like he doesn't have the staff he used to have. So like the place is musty and dusty and it hasn't been aired out in a while. And again, this is right after the hottest day of the year. So I'm sure it was smelling like house in there. Yeah, it was gross. And they're like literally scrounging the house for SIGs. I love it. It I is like love it. A real dude's rock moment in this where just a couple guys pretty traumatic night a lady died gotta have gotta have a drag quick when everything goes out the window like every concern is put on the back burner until you can find the two remaining stale cigarettes in the house and then once you can have those then gatsby's like all right let's talk about some shit Because we just had a day. So let me tell you a little bit more about my past. And it's here that Gatsby kind of tells Nick like all of that Dan Cody stuff that we already know as readers. And he also goes into a little bit more uh, detail on he and Daisy's relationship, how he lied to get close to her initially and how when he went to war, Daisy ended up getting impatient for him to come back because he got stuck over there for a while and how Gatsby when he did get back, went to Louisville looking for her, but she obviously wasn't there. She was on her honeymoon with Tom. So we get all of that detail. It just kind of gets the reader caught up to present day and a little bit more light onto Gatsby's journey and how this dream of being with Daisy all kind of began. Yep. And you can definitely tell it's like, a lot of this is not only that he wants her like 
as an object because he's like, the more I realized that other men were interested in her while we were courting, the more desirable she was for me. It's literally just like wanting another thing that other men can't have this really grandiose idea of what his life is going to be. But it's also the sense of like, I was this close to it already. And if I can, if I, if at one point I was that close to it, I can get there again and I can actually take it this time. Yeah. And importantly, and I think we see this uh, in chapter seven too, but it's this idea that because he was once that close, he will always be that close. Yeah. It's, it's like, not like anything is, it's not like he's regressed at all. That's what he thinks. Right. Yes. He's like, yeah, once we were real, like we were in love. And so now naturally it's still the same. Like, dude, that's just not how this shit works. And now we kind of realize that the letter that Daisy had uh, the day before her wedding, where she got super drunk and it was in the tub and stuff. That's the letter of Gatsby announcing to her. He's coming home. Finally, too little, too late Gatsby. Sorry, bud. Yep. Sucks to suck. Uh, Nick tells him, Hey man, that's great. You should flee town because you're probably wanted for murder. Yeah, he's like, go to Montreal or Atlantic city or something like that. And Gatsby's like, why? <laughs> cool your heels, bro. You're hot. The block's hot right now. My guy Block's hot Gatsby. Hey, uh, your car that was definitely <laughs> seen has a big human shaped dent in the front fender. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I got that in the garage. I usually keep the door open, but, uh, I, I it's closed right now. He's like, yeah, I know it's closed, dude. Like, cause it was just very recently seen at the crime. The tunnel vision on this guy, it's, it's honestly impressive, really. I mean, the fact that he can just say, and you have to think, like, money has something to do with this, right? Where yeah. he just has some sort of arrogance that even if he got in trouble or somebody found out it was his car, he could just pay anybody off. Yeah, it's a 20s, you know, not the worst argument in the world, but... A lot of it is also, he's like, I'm not leaving until I know what Daisy's doing. I'm not leaving without Daisy. I cannot make a move that would put me farther away from her when I'm already so close. He's like, I'm here. Like, I didn't spend all this time, all this money, all this opportunity to get her in my sights and then leave again, only to have to come back and redo all my work. So that's a lot of it, too. So Nick also is like, you know, I really like you, man. Um, I definitely think you should flee town because I think you're genuinely my friend. I'm going to go to work now. <laughs> <laughs> After basically witnessing a murder and being up all night, Nick's <laughs> like, time to get to the city. Just grind out some bonds. So, yeah, he's like, hey, I'll call you on my phone around noon just to check in on you. And he's like, yeah, sounds good. So Nick goes to work and he's like, I don't know why I went to work. I was fucking useless that day, which is like, you know, We've been there, dude. All been there. And and he gets a call on his phone. He thinks it's going to be Gatsby, but it's Jordan Baker. And Jordan Baker's like, you really pissed me off last night when you wouldn't hang out with me after we witnessed a murder. And he's just like, <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> Oh my God, dude. I don't care. I don't, I don't care if you witnessed a murder, however you need to deal with that. You go do that. Like if you want to be with me, you can be with me. Like, I'm not going to hold that against you. <laughs> Jordan's just like, Hey, I know you might be dealing with some shit right now, but I'm fucking pissed at you. <laughs> Yeah, I'm real. I'm real fucking mad that, you know, I wanted to like, you know, cuddle or something or maybe like get get our drink on because it was only 10 o'clock when you decided you wanted to go to bed 
after again witnessing your only friends in the city get in a massive fucking fight. Also, someone's dead. Now, here's the the reverse side of it. Nick, grow up and support your girlfriend, dude. That like, is fair. She that just, is the other side of the coin. She also just saw the same murder. Maybe she wants to chill. Like, don't Maybe be she such needs an you. ass. Maybe she needs someone. So clearly, these two are not cut out to be together. <laughs> and oh, we, come on, man! <laughs> and, and their way of coping with a very gruesome death is just not the same. Yeah, and you know what? When you when you can't decide on that, you know how are you going to pick wallpaper? <laughs> if the way you process a woman's corpse and the people who killed her are your friends, you know how are you gonna how are you gonna deal with cabinet colors, my guy? Right, what kind dude. of granite vendor are you gonna go with for the countertops? Granite or butcher block? You know who knows? Yeah, so that obviously was awful. But after this, Nick hangs up with her, obviously distraught. This cuts and does a little bit of a time hop back to Wilson's shop immediately post when Art's crew leaves the night before. It is now clicking in Wilson's brain to look for the yellow car. So he was clearly told something that he was trying to process. And then so his Greek friend, uh, Mikolos, or Mikelois, whatever it is. It's a Greek guy's name. Is his friend from like auto shop across the street. He's kind of being like, hey, man, you should get some sleep or you should like maybe like deal with this. And he's just like, I'm just going to leave. And he's like walks out and starts asking people, anyone who can about a yellow car. Have you seen this? Have you seen that? Clearly, he's got something that's like wormed into his brain and he's stuck on it. And he eventually learned Gatsby's name. Now we're back to current times. Nick is a little scared because he's been trying to call Gatsby all day. After he talks to Jordan Baker, he's been trying to call Gatsby, trying to get a hold of him, trying to get someone to get a hold of him, and he can't do it. He races home. He's pretty nervous about it, doesn't know why Gatsby wouldn't talk to him because he knows he's at his house. And Nick gets to Gatsby's after work, and he finds Gatsby's body in the pool and just over Wilson's uh, body as well. Wilson must have found out Gatsby's name, went over there with a revolver, and killed him and himself in a murder-suicide. And that's how the chapter ends right there. Yeah, it's really tough. Gatsby's just trying to enjoy a day on his pool floaty, one of the last nice days of the summer. Somebody had to come in and kill him. Yep, and he mentioned a couple times in early chapters too, like I've never even used my pool. And the one day he wants to use his pool is the day that Wilson gets it in his head that Gatsby murdered him or murdered his wife and so kills him and himself. R.I.P. to James Gatz. It's interesting that we have this super dramatic end to this character because it seems like the most grandiose way of taking this dream of Gatsby's and bringing it to a crashing halt. There's nothing closer to a reality check than someone killing you. Like, it's one of the only things that's assured of everyone so the idea that Gatsby is killed rather than Daisy declining his offer to join him or leaving Tom it's fitting in a way that this very grandiose man who throws really extravagant parties is taken down literally to earth by the most extreme measure possible and also by a man who 
is not Gatsby at all. Lives in his own auto shop garage. His wife hates him. He's dirty. He's usually sick. But he was able to take down this guy just because he wanted to. But at the same time, is a lot like Gatsby. Despite the fact that, like you said, Gatsby obviously has all this money and stuff and Wilson has nothing, lives above his shop. Wilson and Gatsby, in the sense of their origin, is more similar than Gatsby and, say, Tom are. Yep. Right? So, like, totally. it's Wilson from his world, you know, his place in society. Like his class. His class finding out Gatsby and killing him. And so it's almost this moment where Gatsby is put to death by this thing that he was trying to escape his entire life. Mm -hmm. And through his own actions released on himself, like trying to like let like letting Daisy drive in that condition led to Myrtle's death leading to him obviously being tracked down, getting killed. It's all there. Well, that gets us into chapter nine. And this chapter is, as I said before, kind of just a a long kind of slow landing of the plane. So we open with there's some press following Gatsby's death. And Nick's kind of worried about people like the gossip machine of New York going crazy about the reason for Wilson murdering Gatsby. But Catherine Myrtle's sister denies all reports of her sister sleeping around. So that never kind of comes up that, you know, no rumor ever really emerges that Gatsby was sleeping with Myrtle, Mm -hmm. which is one of the more like redeemable things somebody does in this book. She just kind of like keeps everything on the DL and like by doing so doesn't smear anybody. Yep, doesn't smear anyone, and the only way that it does kind of smear, instead of uh, Wilson getting this, like, righteous kind of, like, justice over who he thinks killed him, it's just kind of, like, he gets kind of, like, reduced to, like, a deranged man, totally shattered with grief, and lashing out in the only way he could, and that would explain his suicide as well, so, yeah. So at the time, Nick is busy trying to make funeral arrangements for Gatsby, and he doesn't want to put you know, an announcement in the paper because he knows if he does that, then all of New York will show up and it'll just be another version of one of Gatsby's parties where nobody really gives a fuck, but they're just there to see it. So he keeps it very private, but he tries to call people individually that he knew were familiar with Gatsby. And a couple notable ones are this guy, Clip Springer, who I don't know if we mentioned on the pod, but he's this guy that basically lived at Gatsby's house. They call him the tenant where he was just always there. Mm-hmm. And Nick gets a hold of him and Clip Springer is asking him about tennis shoes. He's like, yeah, you know, I think I left some tennis shoes at Gatsby's place. Hopefully I can get those back. And Nick's like, for sure. When you come to the funeral, right? Clip Springer's like, oh, I probably wouldn't do that. And Nick's like, fuck you, man. I'm not giving you your shoes. Yeah. The next one, uh, notable one, is Wolfsheim. Nick has a really hard time trying to rope Wolfsheim into coming to Gatsby's funeral because Wolfsheim just pulls like this gangster card where he's like, look, I just don't really get involved after people are dead. It's just cleaner that way. 
Like I try to, he gives this bullshit excuse where he's like, I try to appreciate my friends while they're living rather than after they've died. And Nick's just like, dude, you are full of shit. You could just go to the funeral, but he doesn't do that. Yeah, it's, it's bad. And, you know, Nick's trying to be like, you know, how the hell do I get a hold of this guy's parents? No information at all. How do I, like, I was like, I wonder what Tom and Daisy are doing. They've totally skipped town. Yes. Like, tries to call the Buchanan residence and the, and, you know, he can sense that the, the, like the servant who picks up also is a little confused because he's like, I don't have any idea where they're, where they went or when they'll be back. Jimmy, they've just gone. Gatsby's dad ends up showing up. Mr. Mm-hmm. Gats. He is one of my favorite characters in this book because of how, you know, parents just have this unconditional love for their kids. And clearly he's really proud of Jay and all of the things that he owns and grateful, obviously, that Jay bought them the home that they live in now in Minnesota. But he's just just really sad about his kid's death. And he has these moments where he's like showing Nick like, oh, this is jay's daily routine i could have seen from a mile away that he was going to achieve great things he was going to change change the world like james j hill it was just really sad but also very endearing at least to me that someone although it was his dad and you know dads are kind of required to care but someone was there for gatsby yeah and it's so funny like you know, Mr. Gatz is walking around this house. And even though it's like a little dilapidated because no one's been living there for a while, he's still in awe. Yeah. And he sees all the things that his son has, all the paintings, the books, the ornaments, the accoutrement, all of it. And he's so like, and he's a little bit taken aback where he's like, you know, I knew my son would be great one day. We know Gatsby's a fraud. We know that his money is sketch everything's for show it's all just this mirage and what he dreams it to be but he probably left north dakota and told his parents like you don't understand i'm going to be rich and famous one day i'm going to actually do it and they never knew how intense that was until his dad goes to this like exquisite long island mansion and it's like yo my son did it he really did and nick doesn't even like try to like fight him on he's like you know he kind of did in his own way, he definitely did. So unfortunately, the day of the funeral finally comes and no one goes to it. It's no. Nick Gatsby's dad and they go to the cemetery and the drunk guy, if you remember from the library, shows up. After that, they you know they put Gatsby in the ground and Nick kind of has just a long moment of reflection and just kind of tying off loose ends. So he reflects on his Midwesternness and how he, Gatsby, Tom, and Daisy, all being west of the Ohio, are kind of not built for the East Coast. And it was pretty evident by all of that craziness that we just read. He also ties things off with all the Jordan Baker drama, breaks up with her, during that breakup, she's like, yeah, I'm engaged to someone else anyway. <laughs> it's like, all right, you know, whatever you say, fine. Yeah, he, he in his attempt to just like wrap things up, too, she was like, you know, when you like hung up on me, you were the first dude to make me like 
actually feel that no one wanted me. I'm used to people wanting me. I still hate you, but that was, that was interesting. I never felt that before. So that's cool. A little bit later in time in October, after all this is kind of blown down, Nick meets Tom Buchanan and on accident, you know, runs into yeah, on it, just kind of runs into him outside of a shop and Nick gets him to admit that he's the one who told Wilson it was Gabs Gadsby. Right. So we find out that Wilson came to the Buchanan residence first. And as we were aware, Wilson saw Tom driving Gatsby's car that day. He already had suspicions that Tom was sleeping with his wife. So, of course, he goes to the Buchanan house first. Tom had to basically just sell out Gatsby to get Wilson to leave his house. Yeah. And he kind of does like the thing like, hey, he was obviously going to murder someone. It might as well have been Gadsby. And Nick's like, fuck you, man. <laughs> like, you are actually a bad person and even tells him that. And Tom's like, hey, you're pretty crazy. Like, he like, tries to, like, blow it off and then, like, goes into the store. And that was, like, the last of Nick's friends that he even, like, can, like, think of in New York. Yeah. I mean- and he, and he kind of, like, realizes that he's got no more connections there, or at least on, like, Definitely anyone that he would be able to recognize from his past. Right. And in his description of Tom and Daisy at the very end here, he says they were careless people, Tom and Daisy. They smashed up things and creatures and then retreated back into their money or their vast carelessness or whatever it was that kept them together and let other people clean up the mess they had made. Really, that's just the perfect description of Tom, Daisy, and a little bit Jordan, too, where it's just disregard for anybody else around you and just lean on your money or your connections or whatever it is to get you out of any kind of mess you make. I mean, that's really what it is. Yeah. After that, Nick describes that he spends the rest of his time in New York doing the whole New York thing. He spends every Saturday night in the city because even though he realizes that he doesn't belong there, it's still just so crazy and it's so cool. And he thinks, well, if I have to be around all these people and all this glamor, I might as well like take advantage of it before I go. And the night before he leaves, he's got his trunk packed and he sold his car and he's not going to live in his house anymore. He like, trespasses onto like the old Gadsby house and just like looks up at what he calls like this failure of a house. Right. Like what was once the greatest attempt at glamor just failed. And he goes to Gadsby's beach and he sees the light from the Buchanan house, the green light. And he just realizes how futile it was for all these people from the Midwest. Cause you know, Daisy and Tom aren't from the East coast either. How like dumb and futile it was for them to even try and make a life out here and spend time together. And then that's just how the book ends. Yeah. I mean, he, he reflects just a little bit, like you said, on the failure of the house and the significance of that green light and just how unreachable that dream was that that green light represented. But yeah, I mean, like you said, it just ends pretty abruptly and you know, let's do this because obviously we're going to do old sport of the week and old sport of the book. We can get to that in a second, but in terms of the whole, the whole thing in general, take it back to, you know, when did I read this book in high school? Like, 
I think I read it in high school, freshman year, like maybe. sophomore year, whatever it was, the whole year. like, okay, what did you learn from this book? So obviously Fitzgerald is trying to hammer home that there's like this class divide that's not entirely escapable and making money and especially doing it in sketchy ways is not the way to get out of it. I also just learned, and this is not entirely like a sincere thing, but sometimes just let the one that got away get away. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes just let that happen. Yeah. There's a line in the last page where he talks about like, he's, he's on the long Island sound and he realizes how insane it would have been for those first Dutch sailors to land in New York Mm -hmm. as a continent in the 1600s and how like there is literally an entire new world that's completely untouched and it can be yours. And he kind of compares that to what Gatsby did coming out where he's like, Gatsby came to conquer the world. And it was your classic idea of like, like man's reach, like outreaching his grasp. He wanted so much and couldn't recognize that he couldn't have it. Like you, you literally cannot have it all, but the temptation was just always out there. The other thing too is just, well, like you said, you can't have it all, but you can have a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's pretty clear because Gatsby achieved a lot, but what he didn't do is he didn't keep his priorities straight mm-hmm. where he assumed that what happiness was for him was to attain a human person, never a good starting point, mm-hmm. and do it by becoming wealthy. If you're going to go about it that way, you're just going to end up disappointed. So like that idea of like you can't have it all, figure out what all means to you and try and do it in a way that like makes sense and ideally gets people to your funeral once you die. Yeah. He references when he's talking a lot about kind of his own love of where he grew up in the Midwest and how he didn't realize it until now that like you said, like you can't have it all unless your expectations of what it all is are like actually accurate to what life is. He's like people who live in St. Paul, Chicago, Milwaukee, like the Midwest, there might not be this like glamorous draw of New York, but everyone who's content to live there lives there happily and spends time however they'll like to just there and not somewhere where they think it's important for them to do it. And how he talks about how, you know, that doesn't mean it's perfect for everyone. It isn't. People should go where they want to, but people should also be recognized that sometimes things aren't what you fantasize them to be. And that's a big thing with Gatsby is like Gatsby, maybe life on a North Dakota dirt farm wasn't for him. It definitely wasn't. But that doesn't mean that you get to live as some freaking God King over in Long Island and instantly have everyone respect you. Totally. So question, are we supposed to like Gatsby in this book? Are we supposed to like him as a character? I think it's hard not to. I think it's really hard not to. And in the way that Gatsby is flawed, for a lot of the same ways Tom is flawed, Gatsby is at least a cool, charming guy that is presented in such a way as just like a a kind of delusional dude who may have not good intentions, but mostly is a pretty okay guy. 
Well, he's he's the underdog too. Yeah, he's the underdog, which is hard to hard to root against. And as we were doing, you know, throughout this episode, and you know, some of the other ones too, it's easy to kind of pick at him for some of the mistakes he made. Where you know he's not seeing Daisy as like an actual human, seeing her as something that he can possess. Like, there's all of these things that are wrong, but you still kind of have to like him because he's trying to escape a life that wasn't as great for something more idyllic. You know, who among us? Like, who among us doesn't have like dreams and shit? I mean, Nick does an interesting thing in this book. I felt where he he kind of changes his tune on Gatsby at some point where up to a certain point, Gatsby is kind of like a predator and like going after something without any kind of regard for anybody else. And he lumps Gatsby in as a wealthy person with the rest of the wealthy, unconcerned people he knows until he finds out that Gatsby is in fact a poor guy from North Dakota or whatever it is, one of the Dakotas. And then Gatsby turns more into like the victim of the circumstance of the social class that he was born in. So then he really takes on that underdog role. So, and you can see it. Nick is just really concerned about him, not for him, the situations he's putting himself in the situations he's putting Daisy in. But that last morning they spend together where Gatsby spills the beans about what his life really is and Nick has to go to work, he's really worried about him. And it's the most concern he's had for Gatsby in the entire book and decides to, like, when he's done, like, run his funeral and stuff, like, a settle his estate. You wouldn't do that if you didn't actually care about the guy. Who do you, uh, who do you identify most with? You know, I identify a lot with Nick for a lot of the reasons that are kind of like, like like said that we kind of like like him where he's like a level head and is a good like narrator voice um as an actual character in the book he's not super fleshed out to be super honest Mm -hmm. however there's like a soberness to him that i think is really appreciated by me i think that's kind of where my attraction to him as a character is coming from where he can kind of be like you know these people are pretty delusional and out of touch with reality and i consider myself to be pretty grounded and i think that's why what about you well i was just gonna say that i'm with you on nick nick is a i think it's the it's the easiest one to we spend the most time with him right so, so so that's a that's a good answer but one of the reasons that i like this book so much is i think it forces you to realize that you can identify with some of the bad characteristics of a lot of these people so right. you're i was kind of forced to be like oh i'm I there's probably a little bit of that insecurity and douchiness from tom and me or like there's that tunnel vision aspiration of Gatsby. Like that's something that there, there are things that you kind of like glom onto as yep. and are forced to recognize in yourself. The temptation of the past with Daisy, obviously just the selfish drunkenness of literally everyone else in the story. So yeah, it's the conversation that we had when we were talking Lord of the Rings where it's like, okay, would I like to be Aragorn or Frodo or Sam? Yeah, but you're probably Boromir. <laughs> like, yeah, that kind of thing. Let's get to old sport of the week. Now, I've got 
the old sports from episodes one and two. So we said in episode one, F. Scott Fitzgerald, just for his writing, and Nick Carraway were our two. Episode two, Nick Carraway came up again, and then you said Jordan Baker. Episode three. Now, this was a tough one for me because there are so many things here that you could put down, like American class constructs. The American caste system stays intact. Huge winner of the week this week. Steel car construction. You think someone's getting killed going 30 these days? Not a chance. (laughs) My RAV4 is made out of plastic, dude. Infidelity. It's a great week for infidelity. But the real winner of the week is Pammy Buchanan. And here's why. Pammy Buchanan, the daughter of Daisy and Tom, just avoided the worst divorce of all time. And in avoiding the worst divorce of all time, she also avoided the inevitable second worst divorce of all time when Daisy and Gatsby realized that they weren't meant to be together. So the winner of the week, the old sport of the week for me, goes to Pammy Buchanan. Okay. (laughs) Um, You know, I was going to say Gatsby's dad. (laughs) That's actually, that's the one that I had down for my real one. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Gatsby's dad. I like Pammy Buchanan. Uh, She's in the book exactly one time. Her mom tells her to go away. Yep. So because of that, I wasn't really thinking her. (laughs) My one, if it, I actually just think the idea of New York City as this fantastical place where people move to, get chewed out by, and again, then then leave. That's that's a big one for me. I love that. That's yeah. a classic one where like people go, and even when they go there, and even though they hate it, they're still just like, God, it's great. <laughs> like Nick just had Nick witnesses a murder. All his friends there either move or like don't want to talk to him anymore or get killed, and. He is still like, you know what? I still go into town every Saturday night because it fucking rocks. Yeah, I mean, the the moment where Nick's kind of like, you know, I love New York. It, it also reminds me a little bit of Gatsby's parties. That's like a really kind of, that's a really sweet moment too. So yeah, my real one, I said Gatsby's dad just because he's the only guy that gives a fuck to actually go to the funeral other than Nick. And that those scenes, I just, they really... They really got to me. So I loved him. Overall, though, an old sport of the book, Nick Carraway, we have on here twice. I would have to give it to him for the entire book just because, one, for putting together a story. And and by Nick Carraway, of course, I'm saying, in a sense, F. Scott Fitzgerald. Mm-hmm. crafting the story the way that it's crafted is incredible but also just the way that he invites you in to the crazy point of view from the west eggers and east eggers it's just what makes this story great so i'd have to give it to nick caraway that's a great answer and it makes a ton of sense the last eight pages of this book or I guess like five, the second he starts talking about like the Midwest and then the last couple of pages where he's talking about like New York and aspiration and the green light, I was like devastated getting misty. I, that's a great pick. I'm going to go with actually Jay Gatsby for mine of the actual book, just how his meteoric rise and failure to break the gravity hold of his own ambition 
is just such a fascinating catalyst for everything that goes around. It's a perfect metaphor for like the American dream perfectly encapsulates the inability to break out a caste structure perfectly coincides with like how men treat the idea of women. It's everything you could think of for a guy who's just trying way too hard. But at the same time, you just get it. He's just a poor kid who wants to be better than what he knows he is. And I think the idea of like telling the story of everyone around that makes a ton of sense. Yeah, man. I mean, when you're right, you're right. The book isn't called Nick Carraway. It's called The Great Gatsby. So it's not called The Bad Gatsby. Gatsby. (laughs) All right. Well, that, folks, is The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. I hope you enjoyed following along with us. Little housekeeping items. Uh, Again, send us book recommendations. Um, Still taking those. So uh, bibliotakes at gmail.com. Send those in to us. Next week for our podcast, we will be watching this movie, the edition with Leonardo DiCaprio. Is there another one? I don't even know. I think there is. I don't believe so. Oh, really? Okay. Well, if they have our, if they have our, our beloved listeners have not watched it. Right. Whatever. Or if you have, you yell at us in the email. <laughs> we are doing the Leonardo DiCaprio edition. So tune back in next week for that. Until then, this has been Bibliotheques. We'll see you guys next time. <laughs> <laughs>